I'm Katie Prejean McGrady, and this is Ave Explores. A lot of times we start Lent off with this very gung-ho attitude. I'm gonna I'm gonna win Lent. We we talked about that just this past week on Ash Wednesday. I'm gonna succeed at Lent. I want to make sure that I am doing Lent well, whether that's I'm giving up the thing that I chose to give up and I'm sticking to it, or I'm doing this particular thing, I'm adding this thing into my life and I'm sticking to that, or I'm, I'm choosing to embrace whatever it is that we have felt ourselves feel called to embrace. But see, this is the part where I think a lot of times we maybe need a little bit of guidance, myself included. And one of the reasons why I'm very grateful that we have Restore by Sister Miriam James Heidland and this podcast to really dig into, well, this main question, what does it mean to be led into Lent? And what does it truly mean to enter into the desert experience? See, the desert, by definition, is, is not, you know, not necessarily a place that you or I want to hang out. Like, I'm, I'm not looking to go va- vacation in the desert. I'm, I'm not looking to go spend any more time in the desert than I necessarily need to. The desert is a place where it's hot. The desert is a place where there's a lack of things, or at least that's what we're led to believe. The desert is a place where I'm not exactly sure what I'm going to find while I'm there. I'd much rather be in lush green gardens or fertile fields, not barren deserts. And yet we use this imagery of a desert in Lent with with purpose. We talk about how Lent is this desert experience, the same way that Christ stepped into the desert for 40 days in anticipation of his ministry, so too do we step into the desert for 40 days to anticipate the most profound thing he did in his ministry, his death and his resurrection. And so what we find in the desert can be quite illuminating. And perhaps how we start this journey of restoration and healing needs to really Well, it has to begin. I guess the way we start is by going into the desert with purpose and allow ourselves, and this is perhaps the most important part, allow ourselves to be led into the desert. We don't just walk into the desert without aim or direction. We don't just go into the desert and expect something magical to happen. We allow the Holy Spirit to lead us into the desert and to begin to work on our hearts and on our minds there. There was really only one person I I could think of that I wanted to sit down and really talk about this desert theme with. And he's a, a dear friend of mine who I've had the opportunity to interview a number of times, and every single time I walk away more intrigued by the wisdom he shared than the last time we chatted, and, and more on fire to really embrace the call that God places upon our heart in unique and particular ways. Father John Burns is an author. He is a speaker. I know him very well from doing Steubenville ministry together He's a great priest, a good friend, and, and has wonderful insight into what the desert is supposed to be. Not just a place where a project unfolds, not just a place where we do all the things of Lent on our to-do list, but a place where Christ is able to work on us because we have been led into the desert, led into the wilderness with intention, and that's where the Holy Spirit can reveal some important things to us. This is all part of our series walking through Sister Miriam James Heidland's book, Restore. You can grab a copy of it on Ave Maria Press's website. The link is down in the show notes if you want to be able to find it very quickly. We will be every week walking through the themes, so we hope that you go over uh, to Ave Maria Press, grab a copy of the book, and more importantly, maybe subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcast so that you can continue to journey with us every Sunday during Lent 
that we can be intentional with our walking through the desert together. So subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, sign up for our weekly emails on AveMariaPress.com, grab a copy of the book, and for right now, we hope you sit back and enjoy this conversation with Father John Burns. Well, Father John Burns, welcome back to Ave Explorers. Hey, Katie, good to be back with you. Excited here. So I think I was I was talking to our team. You are our most frequent guest with this podcast. We've had you on the most. So we obviously like what you have to say, and we're excited to bring you back on. Wow, that's cool. I had no idea. I'm honored. Yeah. Well, you are a priest of the Diocese of Milwaukee. It's always good to let folks know who you are and what you're doing. So just if I bumped into you in an elevator, who would I have just met? Yeah, diocesan priest. living kind of a different set of assignments. I work in the vocations office, working for priestly vocations, guys to serve priesthood. And then half time, I'm assigned to the promotion of women's religious and consecrated life. So doing help with women's vocations and then a lot of work around the country with religious communities of women doing healing work, retreat work, spiritual direction. So a little bit of a, a wandering preacher, itinerant <laughs> in some ways, but then also based here running our house discernment and a bunch of young adult ministries here in the Archdiocese in Milwaukee. Is that what you thought you'd do in your priesthood? Man, that's the fun part of the priesthood is like, you really have no idea. It's like marriage, you know, you set out, you have these ideas where it's going and then the Lord and trials and graces all intersect. And you're like, I had no clue this is what it's going to look like. I mean, mm-hmm. deep down, like my heart's always been actually for the renewal of religious life of women and, and what consecrated women bring to us. So that part actually isn't surprising. What's surprising to me is that the Lord has made it so central. I thought it would always be mm-hmm. something I do like on the peripheries or in my yeah. time, but he's really invited me to do it full-time pretty much next year. So yeah. that's n- not surprising and surprising at the same time. But but in the concrete details, like there's just no way to guess. Yeah. And it's always better than you expect it would be. I think that's probably one of the most fun parts about like a life of surrender is we think we know what we want. We get there, like, oh, that's it. And then God has something cool. <laughs> it's like, oh, thank God I didn't interfere with what God was trying yeah. to figure Yeah. There's something really beautiful about the obedience that's required in that. You know, like obedience in the married life is very much like we're obedient to each other and we're obedient to what we feel the Lord call us to. But like, there's not these outside forces that we have to be obedient to. Like, it's very much a a relationship between the two of us that we have to discern through. But as a priest, as, as a religious, there's a there's an outside force. There's somebody that you say yes to. There's the Lord, of course, that you have to listen to. Is that ever, and this is going to lead us into our Lenten conversation, I promise. There's a there's a connection here. Is that ever hard? Like, like what do you have to surrender to be able to embrace that obedience? You know, because yeah. the bishop could call tomorrow and say, okay, we're changing it up. And like, you have to say yes. What, what does that look like in your prayer life? Yeah, it's a great question, Katie. It's a little different for us to ask and preach. Religious life, in like convents and monasteries, there's daily obedience. Like you're obedient to the daily schedule and it's kind of constantly rubber hitting the road. Diocesan priesthood, it's it's fairly consultative a lot of the time. Like when parishes open, you might have a chance to request a transfer. And so by and large, there's a lot of kind of consultation and middle ground when it comes to obedience. But there are those times when the bishop just needs you to take an assignment or he needs you to move or something kind of crazy opens up that you didn't expect and the bishop just says, I need you to go do this. Those times, I think because there's a little more consultation and kind of latitude in the Dallas and Priesthood, when those come up, they are hard. Mm. For me, personally, it was going back for doctoral studies. Like I didn't, I, I was in a perfect parish, nothing wrong. Mm-hmm. I loved it there. Everything was growing and, and it was just beautiful. And the bishop asked me to go back for doctoral work and was really mm-hmm. convinced I needed to. 
And that was like, yeah, talk about the interior life. That was months of crying and prayer, like grappling with the will of God. Like, what is God's will? Like so much grace here. How could you want me to walk away from this God? Is my bishop wrong? That's the wrong question most of the time, you know, but I'm like trying to figure out how God's blessings match what the bishop's asking for. Of course, in the end, I obeyed. And then God's mm-hmm. blessings became really clear because in the, the death and the sorrow of leaving that parish, the Lord opened up so many avenues of, of inspiration, of blessing, really of wisdom, and opened up assignments that I have now, which are like far better than I would have expected. Mm-hmm. And so it's just constant death to self. Obedience always requires that we hear, you know, the voice of God and another calling us and a little bit of death to obey, to, you know, death to our own will, like self-will yeah. must die. And what it does is just more freedom to, to let God take full reign and mm-hmm. uh, I'm so glad I obeyed. Like I, I would never want to go back. And yeah. I insisted that I stay in that little space where I was, which was really good. But the Lord has yeah. much bigger plans. There's something really interesting about the on the other side of it, right? Like hindsight's 2020. Like if I know consistently, I hear the stories of people. Yeah, I was obedient. I was open. I didn't like it at the time, but but God did something great as a result. It's almost as if like when we walk into a season like Lent, and we resist like, Oh, I I don't want to fast. I don't want to, I don't want to pray in this particular, I don't want to give up social media. I don't want to give up Netflix in the evenings. Like these are things I enjoy, but I I feel like the Lord might be asking me to do this thing. Hearing stories of obedience. I know it's going to be good, but I still don't want to do it at the same time. How can we grapple with that? How does obedience, how does entering into the desert with that posture of, I'm going to listen to what God wants to do. How is that something we can this is the first week of Lent. So how, how can we really prepare to do that well in this season? Yeah, let me go high level for a second on that and point out, you made a really good point there about how as we kind of move with the Lord through life, we learn that in looking back, it's really clear what God was up to. The pieces align, we can see patterns that we weren't able to spot in the present moment. So one of the most important things, I think, to grow in excellence and peace and holiness is self-awareness and the ability to look back over the story and notice where God was working and what the patterns were. Because the ideal is in the present moment, we would be able to see what God is doing and understand how to respond to it now, even if it's kind of surprising. Usually that only comes about through looking back and like, oh, now I see what God was doing through this to this to this to get me here. But when we live kind of a recollected life and we're willing to really constantly be rereading our own personal narratives, kind of like Lexia Divina, noticing there's always a divine purpose kind of animating our stories. When we get used to spotting those patterns and kind of learning how the Lord tends to approach us, respond to us, invite us, lead us, we start to recognize the sort of personal texture of how how God comes into our lives and how Mm. what it feels like to be prompted by God, to be drawn by God. And with time, with that recollected revisiting of our own stories, we get better and better and better in the present moment at noticing like, okay, this feels like an interruption but it's consistent with the way God has interrupted in the past. And what Mm. he's been interrupting in the past has been sin or tendencies towards sin. So I want to actually be faithful to this little nudge that's pointing me in a direction I didn't expect. Obedience, actually one of the great ways to talk about obedience, obedience to the Holy Spirit, obedience to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. And that just comes about, I mean, there are theories and methods, but that comes about really from our own learning, like our own experience of how God has tended to come into my life, into my story, to to shift it toward the good and how by grace I can learn to recognize that not just in hindsight, but, but now and thereby mm-hmm. obey, like move with what seems to me to be the prompting of God now, even if it, it seems like a surprise, an interruption, an unexpected invitation. Once I learn the flavor of that or the sound of that, 
what mm-hmm. that kind of feels like inside, it becomes easy and easier to like set aside my own projects, my expectations for the day, for the morning, for the hour, and be like, okay, I really think I need to do this. However, this thing is happening in my heart when I pause and listen for 30 seconds. And every time that happens, God's bringing me somewhere new. So maybe I'll just set aside my plan for this hour and, and move mm-hmm. in this other direction. Mm-hmm. And so when it comes to Lent, a lot of times we do, we walk into it with plans or we walk into it with, okay, I read this. And so I'm going to do that, or I've got this book and I'm going to journal every single day and I'm going to follow along specifically. And then we either become too rigid. We don't leave room for those little nudges or we we're too loosey goosey with it. Like, Oh, well, God's just going to tell me what to do. And I'll just, I'll just figure it out. There's got to be a balance of entering into the Lenten desert, right? Like there's got to be a way that we can navigate, especially for somebody who maybe hasn't in the past been as obedient as they need to be or as open to what God wants to do in their life. How do we navigate that? Yeah. Lent, Lent is always a place to kind of grapple with commitments, faithfulness, those commitments, uh, developing our commitments, advancing, kind of doubling down. And, you know, we always want to be careful, right, to be realistic and not to be too hard on ourselves when we kind of inevitably mess up in like week one with something we said we'd do and we didn't do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which, because that's our story, like it's always right. that way. But, but I think we also do want to like avoid that loosey goosey, like, oh, well, it's really just Lent. And we're talking about extras added to my kind of spiritual daily orario. So I don't need to really worry about it. Like the, the church invites us to do this every year because, in her wisdom, guided by the Spirit of God, the church has seen that this is actually what prepares us best to welcome the power of the resurrection. If we don't take this seriously, we'll get to Easter fine, but but we're we're going to, every year that we engage this, we're going to go deeper and we're going to see a different set of insights and we're going to experience the death and resurrection of the Lord personally and ecclesially in a, in a new way with, with new light because the heart is always growing. And so the same scriptures and even some of the same practices are going to come into our journey and, and strike differently. So even if it is like a lot of times, like we kind of went like, oh, don't just give up chocolate this year. Like, don't do more than that. But like if giving up chocolate every year bears fruit, give it up. And if you messed up in week one, get back to it, you know, like mm-hmm. press forward in that and, and and give up chocolate and candy or, you know, like double down. Yeah. Sometimes that's um, a way of pushing against, like giving ourselves mm-hmm. too much permission to say, I tried, but anyway, back to it. I'll pray tomorrow. It'll be fine. Like there's room here to grow. And we're like willing to push ourselves in all these different circles of life, professionally, academically, mm-hmm. athletically. Um, we never really like fall away unless we want to fail. So in our spiritual practices, why let ourselves fall away unless we want to fail? Like let's let's lean mm-hmm. back in. Too bad, brush off. I messed up. Let's go again, and let's go even like more intensely. Sometimes you know, like I, I just think those those little mistakes are places where we don't really obey the Lord or really just stay faithful. What we told the Lord we do. Doesn't mean it's all mm-hmm. over. It means we get to start again. And that's frankly the whole story of grace. It's like, yeah, you messed up. You're forgiven. Let's start again. And the starting yeah. again is sometimes even better. Yeah. I, f- I feel like the past, I mean, since Lent of 2020, which was, I, I, it's hard to think back to, like we were in the middle of Lent when all the COVID stuff started, right? Like Lent was going on and then everything kind of rerouted. And then it just kind of felt like we were in Lent forever. And so then when last year's Lent started in 2021, which is kind of a blip on the radar in my head, I, I remember this, this ongoing conversation kind of happening. We talked about it on the show, but we talked about it in a variety of different places. I know my husband and I had the conversation of like, 
well, like everything has been suffering lately. Like we are just living in a desert full time. I'm not, I'm not going to go too hard. I'm like, I'm just not going to try that hard because I've already been in this permanent suffering. And now it's like, okay, wait, we're back to the exact same place, but, but things are definitely better in a lot of different ways. Or like there has been a lot of maybe healing or restoration and and some other areas. And so it's almost kind of like, maybe now's the time to restart. Now's the time to go into the desert. Like you said, to, to lean into what we know the Lord might be inviting us to. And yet there's still that resistance in people's hearts, or there's still that fear that like the desert's going to show me something I don't want to experience or, or that, that fasting is going to reveal something that I'm not ready to deal with. People are scared. Like that's the long part of this. And, and part of sister's book is really looking at the way that we're called to find restoration in the desert, not just being broken down, but like to be rebuilt in a new way. What do you think the desert ultimately reveals to us? And why is that something folks are scared of? And that was a big question, but, yeah. but yeah, if, if you get the the track that I'm headed down. Yeah. And I'll just, I'll again, go big picture and then, and then try and get to the practical. Mm-hmm. I think one of the most important things we have to do every year is make sure we really grasp what what's happening in, in the economy of salvation and in our story around the desert. Mm. Desert is a, is a really loaded scriptural theme that is like full of beautiful, beautiful insights into where the Israelites went after they left mm-hmm. Egypt and where Jesus went at the beginning of the gospel, which is what our Lent is modeled after. They're both an entrance into the, the wilderness or the desert. So in Greek, the same word, Adamos, means wilderness or desert. And the wilderness is just the space outside of the garden or the city. And a garden mm-hmm. and a city are both organized, right? They're safe, they're ordered, they're usually walled. And so that's where humanity abides. We start in the Garden of Eden, eventually the cities that were established. The wilderness is the stuff that's outside of that where man has not yet asserted himself over nature or nature's kind of free to run rampant. And there's an early biblical conception that actually out in the wilderness is where the, the evil dwells and not just the mm-hmm. wild jackals and wolves and the lack of water, but also the evil spirit. There's a spirit of Azazel we see early on in the Bible, that the scapegoat thing that the Israelites would send a, a goat that carried the sins of the people out into the desert because that's where evil dwells. So when Christ goes out into the desert, it's a loaded theme for the Jewish mindset. He's going into the place where God revealed himself, the Father revealed his providence to the Israelites, where he fed them with with water, with manna, with the pheasants, where they had to grapple with a lot of different ways of forgetting God and becoming idolatrous, giving up on God, where God defended them when they did get lost, where God called them back. I mean, the dynamics of what are happening for for our forefathers, our, our early, early believers in the Jewish tradition, out in the desert, they're so rich to ponder. But that evil element especially is what's significant. Out in the desert is where, where the, the disorder, the chaos reigns and the, the enemy is, which is why Christ goes into the desert right after he's baptized at the beginning of the gospel. And we hear that reading every year at the beginning of Lent. He's going out there, not just to get out of the city and away from the people. There's an element of that. But he's going out there to confront the enemy. And we see the temptations of Christ every year during Lent. And actually in Matthew's gospel, it's not just the basic temptations we hear about. There are three that are listed. But then it says, after the devil had tried every other temptation, it was over. So there's this reality, like in the desert, wherever we go with our Lent, we're going to face the stuff that we tend to avoid, don't want to confront, going to notice we're not good at fasting, going to notice we struggle with prayer and almsgiving. And that's going to be, there are going to be temptations. Like the desert has always been a place of temptation. The spiritual desert or, or our Lent 
we ought to expect to confront temptation. Mm. But Christ, having gone there first, establishes the, the, the possibility, the condition of possibility for our going there and being, as you said, Katie, restored, being mm. not just broken down, but being built up again. And the breaking down is actually what's so key. We hate it, but, mm-hmm. but that's what has to happen. In the body, even when we lift weights or exercise, we're breaking down muscular tissue and even tearing it so it can be rebuilt stronger and mm-hmm. more fully. In the spiritual desert, we're going out to confront the stuff that we've built up, that we've become attached to, that the things in our lives that have become sort of structures of living, things we think we need, things we're attached to, things that we've let come too close to the center, and maybe even things that have become like idols for us. Mm-hmm. We, we go out in the desert to, to square off with all that and to let it be broken down to notice like, man, I really do have a disordered attachment to, to this type of behavior or to, to this set of activities or to this kind of food. Like I like it too much. And that has to be broken down in me. It has to be crushed in me or I'll just keep living kind of a, a flabby, lazy, lethargic existence. Mm-hmm. When that's broken down, it's, it's not just the negative. What I'm, what I'm doing out there is encountering God again, who says, I will lure her out into the wilderness and there I'll speak to her heart. And he speaks to Hosea. And then he sends her forward filled with confidence that he's fought for her, that he's chosen her, that he's blessed her, that he's protected her, and that her life is going to flourish, the people of Israel, the bride. That is meant to be our encounter with God every land. It's like to, to go out there, to obey the prompting of the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit as the Spirit led Jesus, to be broken down. And in that, to like confront parts of my sort of inner landscape that I don't like, that I'd rather not confront to them, sometimes mm-hmm. afraid of, but all in the knowledge that this is God who's trying to teach me about the betrayal, the suffering, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, which is meant to be the pattern of my own entrance into the joy of the resurrection. Mm-hmm. So this great convergence between our story in Scripture and, and our hearts um, is, is what Lent is all about. And the desert is this place of profound purification, of discovering that God provides, even when it doesn't seem like he does, and discovering there's a lot in us that, that actually needs to be starved out, put to mm-hmm. death, stripped away, so that what is, is meant to remain actually does. And then that, the new man, the new woman in Christ Jesus, as Paul calls it, that can grow in, in the economy of grace that follows upon Christ's resurrection. I hope you're enjoying this conversation with Father John Burns. It's definitely enlightening and bringing a lot of things up in my heart and in my mind, and I'm sure in yours as well. I wanted to take a quick moment to tell you about our sponsor for this season of Ave Explorers. We are so lucky to be partnering with the good folks over at Sock Religious, the leading Catholic sock company in, I would say, the world. I'm good friends with the people who created this company. It started with kind of a a, a crazy idea. What would it look like if we created this product that nobody else seems to be making, Catholic socks, with saints or with rosary beads, with fun quotes on the feet? What would it look like to give people a reason to buy a Catholic sock that then could perhaps spark some great conversation? The good folks over at Sock Religious have created everything from socks with your favorite saints to liturgical season themes socks. They make excellent gifts for your parish priests. They've got socks for kids. They've got socks for holidays. They've got so many awesome things coming along with other products like Catholic t-shirts and some Catholic home goods. You can find everything over at SockReligious.com. And they've graciously given us a discount code. You can find it at the link down in our show notes. We hope you check them out. We hope you grab some of the great things that they have created. I, for one, am currently wearing my rosary socks. They're my favorite ones. And every time I wear them, Rose calls them my prayer socks. 
even though I wear them when I'm doing far more things than just praying. But they're a nice reminder that we're supposed to pray always. So Sock Religious, we're so grateful to partner with them this season. Check them out at SockReligious.com. All right, back to the conversation with Father John Burns. Oh, so much there. Like that six minute lecture needs to just be, it needs to go viral in the Catholic world because we, it's just like you said, I'm, I'm resistant because I know there's a wildness to it and there's a, there's a confrontation that has to take place, but I, I'm not going into that untamed space alone. Like Christ entered into it first. And in the same way that he understands abandonment and he understands loneliness and he understands pain and, and sometimes we think like, oh, Christ doesn't get this. He doesn't understand what I'm going through. It's, you know, teenagers especially, like, oh, Jesus would never understand the fact that, you know, so-and-so rejected my prom invitation or this, this person doesn't even know I exist. And it's like, no, like maybe not in those exact circumstances, but Christ has entered into that kind of pain himself. And I, I think the first kind of movement of Lent almost always has to be this acceptance of this is going to be difficult and I'm not going to like it but I know that Christ did it first and did it perfectly. And and so there's room for me to be able to achieve that same perfect, I'm going to use the word purgation, even though it's not exactly that, but to achieve the same thing bit by bit. And, and one of the beautiful things about Sister Miriam's book is that, you know, these questions are all like they, they probe and they push and you can go as far or as little as you want to go to really try to start to dig into what that desert is revealing to us. I want to talk about that idea of, you know, you mentioned the wildness of the desert where things are revealed. And, but we don't just stay out there. Like, it's not like, okay, well, I'm going to go live in the desert now. Like some people, I guess the desert fathers did, but like most of us, that's not what we're called to. Like we're called to then return back to the city. We go back to the garden. We see restoration. It's the getting from point A to point B that Lent is supposed to be. And prayer, fasting, and almsgiving in a very specific way is what we're doing in that desert time. Which one do you think, and this is a loaded question, but in in the year of our Lord 2022, with everything that we have all faced in the past couple of years, our junior year of COVID, as it were, which one do you think our world needs to focus on the most at this time? Or I, I guess to folks listening, like how can a person discern which one they really need to lean into? this Lenten season? You know, of those three, I, uh, for years now, have been convinced that it's it's actually fascinating. And I'm convinced for a number of reasons. Biblically, you know, there's that one scene where the apostles were not able to cast out this demon, and Christ comes and casts out the demon, and he says, some evils can only be uprooted, or some demons can only be cast out by prayer and fasting. It's mm-hmm. only in one of the Gospels that he adds the and fasting. It's one of the early, early manuscripts. But to my mind, that's always been like, yeah, you know, when you talk to people who formally work in the in the arena of opposing evil, fasting is always is crucial. Mm. Experientially, I love to pray, and I'm happy to put more prayer in my life. I like giving alms, and I, I need to always push myself to do that better. But I know that's a part of my life, and it's, it's kind of pleasant. Fasting is totally unpleasant. <laughs> I resist it to the core of my being every single time I have to fast. But because it's recommended to me by Christ himself and by the tradition, I know it's a good. And so I noticed for myself, of those three, that's the one I'm going to try and skirt. Mm. 
but that's also going to be because because it kind of causes a reaction in me and it demands the most of me. And again, this is maybe more personal than universal, but it demands so much of me that I know I'm going to progress because mm-hmm. in the fasting, I'm constantly disciplining my body. And the more I, I want to just get comfortable in my body, the more I get comfortable saying like, I'm here to stay. And, and something of fasting really reminds us of our pilgrim state. Like when you go on a pilgrimage, you just don't have that much food or you don't know when you're going to get the next food. And, and while you're kind of marching toward the holy destination, you suffer a lot. And a lot of the suffering is like, yep, all we've got is a little bit of this Lemba's bread, you know, or like just the snacks that we brought along until we find the next oasis. And so fasting really is never about dieting and about, you know, mm-hmm. weight gain and finding a balance back to our, our bodily health. It can be used for those things. And now, especially intermittent fasting has become this kind of right. extreme way. But like spiritually, the practice of fasting is so potent precisely because it helps me really focus on why I am giving this up or abstaining from that and where I'm looking as I do it. It's mm. not just getting control of my body and my impulses. There's that, but it's it's meant to shape the fact that I don't have these comforts that often come into my life and console me. And so I look past the desire to be consoled by them and I look at what where I've set my life, what what my destination is for us. That's Easter, and Easter is meant to be a sign of the of the ultimate reality of heaven and, and eternal life. And so fasting, fasting is so important for the faithful. Mm-hmm. And and I just I propose it here as a challenge invitation, precisely because it's the one that we just tend to hate the most, kind yeah. of skirt around. I just think it's the one where where we're really going to make the most progress in stripping away the world and living for Christ or letting Christ live in us. There's a lot of joy I find too when I know that I'm I'm not fasting alone. Like it's one thing if I'm like, you know what, I'm giving up, I'm giving up soft drinks. Like I'm not gonna have that diet coke that I enjoy having with dinner. But then like when it's my whole family, like, nope, you know what, we're giving up the after dinner dessert. Like we're only gonna have dessert on the Sundays during Lent because that's a day of feasting. And then it's like we're all doing this together. Like we're all resisting that thing that we enjoy, not because it's not enjoyable. Like it was hard to explain to my four-year-old last year why, nope, sorry, the cookie jar is going to be empty these six weeks. And it's like, but cookies are good. They are, but we've chosen a different good for this time. And it, I mean, it, it was, it was a difficult thing to try to understand, but then also we saw fruit from it. And not just in the sense of like, okay, yeah, we're eating fewer refined sugars, but also in the sense of like, there's a collective, we're keeping our eyes fixed on this. And something's happening in our heads and in our hearts as a result of that refocus. And I think, especially for families, like there's there's a way to engage it on a personal level. As a couple, there's a way to engage it on a personal level. But even with with our children, a way that we can talk about this. I, I know part of the the real benefit of Sister's book is that these questions are, are very personal questions, right? Like if you look at at you know what's one thing the Lord's inviting you to place upon the altar of your heart today, like that's something I'm going to pray through. That's also a question I can bring to my family's dinner table. Like, what's one thing that we want to bring to Jesus tonight as we have this family meal and we talk about our day? And I think as as we go through Lent, as we enter into the desert, as we think about these very big themes, there's also kind of that particularity of here are some ways that we can make Lent valuable. Here's ways that we can make, it's always going to be valuable. It's always going to be meaningful, but like with my kids, with my spouse, in my own personal prayer life, you, you deal with a lot of people. You spend a lot of time offering great spiritual advice. What, what's maybe your, we're asking everybody this question, like what's your one tip to have a good Lent? And I I'm resisting the urge to say like the best Lent ever. Cause I hate that language. Cause like Lent is not something we win. 
it's it's a desert we enter into and it's an experience that we have but there are things that we can do to make it good or to make it fruitful what what's your what's your number one piece of advice yeah big question i think all for jesus whatever we do to keep it focused to keep it intentional and i love what you just shared about about how hard the fasting is but how when you're teaching the littles about why we fast and and, and pointing out that, like the feasting is a part of it too like we can get kind of closed in sometimes on mm-hmm. lens and be like it's just the season of suffering it is that but like the suffering only makes sense in light of where it's going right. and friday only makes sense in, in light of sunday every single week and so there has to be this uh, recognition that while Lent is full of temptation, suffering, I take things away, I add things that are, are beautiful and challenging. All of it is for Jesus. It's for Jesus. Like, I want to know Jesus. I want to mm-hmm. imitate Jesus. I want to be closer to Jesus. And so if I'm fasting, I want to curb my appetites to be closer to the Lord who's able to discipline his own appetites in the flesh. If I'm praying, I want to know the Lord better. I want to know Jesus. I want to know what it's like for him to relate to the Father in love. If I'm giving alms, I want to know that generosity of Jesus as he blesses people who are around him who are poor, suffering, and sick. So mm-hmm. it all has to be, it's all for Jesus. Like the sales, when he when he has this great phrase, live Jesus. Like he just always he'd sign his letters, like live Jesus. Just live Jesus. Like it, it has mm-hmm. to all be for Jesus. And that frames the way we approach any penance, really, but also penitential season against the temptation of kind of previous decades to just throw out all penance or to be like, oh, penance is just too negative and, and too focused on suffering. No, the suffering is pointing us to the resurrection and it's helping mm-hmm. hone our, our desires to live more fully alive in Christ Jesus. So all for Jesus, like whatever you do each day as you experience it, each minute of each day as you experience it, think about Jesus, like turn your attention to the Lord, intend to be more like Christ and ask Christ to show you the Father through the way you pray fast and give alms then you'll find more energy to add things to your Lent or you'll find mm. reason for doing them and you'll find meaning in the suffering. And ultimately that that just like scopes the way we live all of our lives. It's not just Lent. It becomes a way of living on pilgrimage because yeah. pilgrimage, life is a pilgrimage. Lent is supposed to be a microcosm of the way life is supposed to be. Right. And it's all. Yeah. It's not, it's not a, okay, I'm done with those 40 days, like back to just everything I used to do. There's, there's formation and a long-term effect. Father, always great things to hear from you, great wisdom. Where can we follow you? Where can we learn a little bit more about the great work you do? Yeah, just I'm on social media. I'm kind of always passive there. I post once in a while. <laughs> Father John Burns, at Father John Burns, Father spelled out on like Instagram and Twitter. And I think Facebook's the same handle. But otherwise, just in the Eucharist, like I'd, I'd be honored to pray for everybody who listens and then like to pray for me when you go to Mass. I just, the sisters will often say, they're like, oh, Father, we'll see you in the Eucharist. Like, that's not a trite little thing. Right? It's a serious right. thing. When we encounter each other here through podcasts or through different ministries, even on social media, like there's really an invitation to meet in the Eucharist, to be like, Lord, thank you for all you're doing in the church. Thank you for all the mm-hmm. people. So let's find each other, you know, in worship. Yeah. And then let's use some other means as well. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us, Father. Right, good to be with you again. I love it, Katie. Keep it up. God bless you, everybody. One of the things that I have continually thought about since Father John brought it up when we did this interview ages ago is the desert is wild, it is wilderness, but it's not without purpose. That you and I don't walk into the desert necessarily aimlessly, or at least we're not supposed to. We walk into the desert knowing full well that this is a place where God can reveal hurts, where God can reveal the need for healing where God can begin to speak to our heart, perhaps in the quiet that the rest of the time we're not really making time for in our lives. 
that it is in the wilderness of the desert that Christ is able to speak louder than perhaps he ever has before. I think what Father John brings up in this conversation, and I'd highly recommend going and listening to it a handful of times if you have the chance, because there's some great wisdom in there, is that the intentionality with walking into the desert is just as important as being in the desert in the first place. That it's not us just running full speed, but it's us being led into it. And so maybe the question that we're called to ask this Lenten season is, how is God inviting me to step into the desert and to pay attention to his presence and his movements there? You can do that, I think, by listening to this podcast that we've created for you to journey through Sister Miriam James Heidland's book, Restore. But even more than that, perhaps taking stock of what are the commitments that you've made for the Lenten season, how you are planning on praying and fasting and giving alms, what you are hoping to find healing for and in and with your life this particular Lenten season. Who do you need to maybe walk with or who do you maybe need to step away from? And how is God guiding you through every single moment of that? This is all going to be available to you here on Ave Explorers. You can sign up on Ave Maria Press's website, AveMariaPress.com, to get our weekly emails with this podcast straight to your inbox. We'd also love it if you'd follow us on social media at Ave Maria Press. Lots of awesome exclusives there, including starting tomorrow, our Instagram live conversations where we have a different guest joining us every week on Ave Maria Press's Instagram page at 1130 Central to just chat for about 20 or 30 minutes, unpacking and exploring together some of the key themes of the week, especially how the Lord is maybe going to work on our hearts in a a healing way and, and spend some time in prayer together talking through those themes. We hope you join us over on Ave Maria Press's Instagram page for that. It'll be posted after the fact on our website and on our Facebook page as well. We'd love it if you'd subscribe to this podcast, and we'd be super grateful if you joined us next week for continued conversation about the ways that we are called to seek healing and step into the desert and be restored. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll see you soon. This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit Spokestreet.com. This episode of Ave Explorers is sponsored by Forte Catholic, a weekly Catholic comedy podcast hosted by Taylor Schroll with his cast of co-hosts, Father Anthony Sharapa, Jonathan Blevins, Allison Sullivan, and Liv Harrison. Think of it like youth group, but for adults. You can have a blast while growing in your faith. Subscribe today on YouTube or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Check out ForteCatholic.com and find a link down in the show notes.